0: Hi, everybody. This is Pastor Tim from Holy Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in Newington, New Hampshire. This is our weekly podcast of the sermon from the prior Sunday. Normally at this time, I've invited everybody to join us for worship at 830 and 11. uh, But right now we're in the midst of the global pandemic. And so we are not having worship in our building at 830 and 11. Instead, you can find us online doing virtual worship using Zoom. You can find the information for all of that on our website at www.htelc.com. You can also like us on Facebook. And uh, those are the two primary ways in which to find our links to have worship with us. So it doesn't matter where you are, as long as you have an internet connection, you can join us for worship. So thank you for listening. We hope that you find the sermon meaningful and purposeful, that it connects to your life and how you interact with the world and most of all it reveals God's infinite love for you and all of creation.
1: This morning gospel comes from Matthew chapter 25 verses 14 through 30. Jesus said to the disciples, "For it is as if a man, going on a journey, summoned his his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave 5 talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with two talents also came forward, saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward, saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid, and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But the master replied, You wicked and lazy slave. You knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with the ten talents. For to all those who have more will be given, and they will have an abundance But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. We are continuing on with the readings that we have had these past few weeks. Um that began in matthew 24 and remember context is everything and to get the full meaning of what this is we want to know who this conversation is about and in bible study last week or a week and a half ago now somebody asked who is talking here and who are they talking to and to remember if we go back to matthew 24 jesus has come into the temple on the donkey um on what we now call Palm Sunday, turned the tables over, and as he walks out, he says, not one stone will be left upon another. He says, it's all coming down, but I will rebuild it in three days. And then the disciples in private ask him, when will this occur? So again, this is not a conversation between Jesus and everybody, so it's not nearly as judgmental as we think it is, right? Right? But this is a conversation between Jesus and the disciples. And the way he answers their question of, when will this happen? He says two parables of, you do not know, it'll be like a thief in the night. And this is where I got it mixed up last week. But you do not know. And then uh, he says, be prepared. And that's a scripture we had last week. The bridesmaids, the ten bridesmaids. Five with oil, five not with oil. And he's telling them to be prepared. And then the scripture we get this week, which that's where I messed up. I think I said last week during my sermon we had a prior and we skipped it. But we get it this week and the scripture we get is this parable of the talents. Give a lot to one, some to one, one to one. And what do you do with it, right? So if the question is, when will this happen? You do not know. Be prepared. Today, we learn, what does it mean to be prepared? It means to do something. Do something. Next week's passage, as we continue these two chapters in a row, we get the uh, very famous one of, as you do to the least of these, you do to me. So next week answers the question of, what are we to do? Today is simply to encourage people to do something. You guys know, I'm assuming, right? Do you know what an oxymoron is? Give it, somebody give an example of an oxymoron. I'm putting you on the spot. Jumbo shrimp. Jumbo shrimp. That's the one everybody always comes to, right? Jumbo shrimp. Perfect. So an oxymoron, two words that seem to mean the opposite, you put together. I got some other ones here. Anybody ever heard the phrase act Naturally. That's what be yourself. That's what act naturally means. Be yourself. But if you have to act, if you have to act, are you really being natural? Right? Doesn't quite fit together. Here's another one. Original copy. If it's original, it's not a copy, is it? Original copy. Uh, small crowd. <laughs> if it's a crowd, isn't it by nature? Thank you, Molly. I appreciate she's listening. What, can we say that for the rest of you? If it's a crowd, it seems by definition it's big. So how can you have a big crowd? How about growing smaller? There's a definition of growing. As you get old, growing smaller. I don't know. I, as I get old, I generally grow the other way. When you eat, it just seems to stick around a little bit longer. But this is the oxymoron I want to bring about for us today. Actively waiting. Actively waiting. Actively waiting. Normally when you wait, you're not doing anything, are you? Think about all the times in which you wait. Anybody ever get stuck in traffic and you're waiting for to move forward? You're just sitting there waiting, doing nothing. Um, how about school pickup line or drop-off line? Holy smokes, if your kids are in Dover, they go to the middle school, that thing backs up and you are just waiting, waiting, waiting. Or are your kids done with the practice? And It's supposed to be done at five, and now it's five: 10, and you're waiting for them to come out the door. You're waiting. Generally, when you wait, you are sitting there doing nothing. Doctor's office I think I've mentioned this one before. you go and you give your name, and then what do you go do? Sit and wait, and you sit there and you wait and you do nothing. I know. Uh, this is one that doesn't happen too often. right now. You go to a table, you go to a restaurant and you wait for a table. right? They give you the buzzer. And you go outside, and you wait for that buzzer to go off. And as you do, you're just biding your time. Normally when we think about waiting, we think about you simply biding your time. We're going to hunker down. We're going to get comfortable. You pull out your phone. Nobody does that, and it's not just teenagers, is it? Everybody just pulls out their phone. You're waiting, and you're just, oh, tell me when it's my turn tell me when it's i'm ready to do whatever i'm supposed to do and we just passive waiting is generally referred to passive and so that's why i think actively waiting is an oxymoron because what we are called to do to be prepared is to actively wait the one who was given one was just waiting till he had to give the money back he was afraid He was fearful. Fear can be really paralyzing, can't it? You know, as someone who deals with anxiety, holy smokes, anxiety is that fear of the future. And so we're afraid, and so sometimes it's easier just to wait, cross your fingers, hope everything turns out. But we're not called to just cross our fingers and hope everything turns out. We're called to be active while we are waiting. I'm not a business person, um, but there's an aspect of it called risk management. Was anybody here involved in risk management? All right, good. So whatever I say, it's going to be correct then, right? Risk management. It is essentially how do you, in a way, predict the negative or adverse or unfortunate effects that are going to occur because of what you do as a company, right? And there's two ways you can look at risk management. You could look at it, what are the effects going to be on the company itself? And that's generally where the focus is. Or you could look at it as the adverse or unfortunate effects that happen on other people, on other things, on the environment, on whatever it might be. I think as a general rule, as Christians, we think about risk management, but we might call it sin management. We try and avoid, or we think about, okay, if I do this, how is it going to affect? And generally, we think about how it's going to affect me, and what does God think of me, and can I get into heaven or not? And that's why, if you remember, a few weeks ago, we talked about Ten Commandments versus the Beatitudes, Ten Commandments we like to lift up. We want to enforce because it's very, uh, you shall not. It's about avoidance. It's about sin management. Does that make sense? Don't do these things and you'll be okay. The Beatitudes, more about a way of life. That's about entering into. That's about being part of. That's about activity. Activity that's a lot harder to do because we might mess up. We might make a mistake. We may not get it right. And we generally I think as a rule Christians refer to manage our sin to not make mistakes and to continue and live our life that way. Play it safe. Does that make sense? I think this passage is about not playing it safe. Life as a Christian is not about playing it safe. It's about being involved in a world that is hurting, that is suffering, that is struggling, that is needs a bit more hope and love and peace and joy. And it's really hard right now, isn't it? Especially at a time in which This is one of the primary things that we do. And can we do it or not? It's really, as I talked about before, it is really making us refocus on what does it mean to be a Christian and what does it mean to actively wait when this can't be the primary thing or it still can be, not the way that we've always done it. How do we actively wait? How do we not worry about sin management, but living a life centered and focused in Christ that enters into it? I forgot to bring the quote up. Martin Luther, you guys heard the name Martin Luther before, I'm assuming? Right, so Luther has a phrase called sin boldly. And I'm going to talk about, or I want to read the quote of where that sin boldly comes from. It's misused when it is thought about, do whatever you want, God forgives. That's cheap grace. As if we do, doesn't matter. That's not what Luther means when he says, sin boldly. Uh, This comes from Luther writing to his friend and colleague, Melanchthon. When Melanchthon has questions about rights, they're kind of breaking away from the Catholic Church or questioning a lot of the practices from back then and what's allowed and what's not allowed. Again, sin management. This is part of what Luther writes. If you are a preacher of grace, then preach a true and not a fictitious grace. If grace is true, you must bear a true and not a fictitious sin. God does not save people who are only fictitious sinners. Be a sinner and sin boldly. But believe and rejoice in Christ even more boldly, for he is victorious over sin, death, and the world. As long as we are in this world, we have to sin. You are not going to avoid sin, okay? This life is not the dwelling place of righteousness, but as Peter says, we look for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. It is enough that by the riches of God's glory we have come to know the Lamb that takes away the sin of the world. No sin will separate us from the Lamb, even though we commit fornication and murder a thousand times a day. Notice the example he uses at the end, right? Fornication and murder a thousand times a day. I'm assuming nobody here today falls into that category, in literal terms in literal terms i'm hoping we don't fall into that category but there are people that do or might and what is christ what is luther saying god even saves them because it is god who saves we who serve so it is really tempting when we look at our life to approach it from a, uh, a view of sin management, I'm afraid to make a mistake. And yet, can we be bold in our faith, risk sinning? Does that make sense? Because the world needs help. The world is hurting. You are hurting. I am hurting. Our neighbor. Is hurting, and we are called to be people that heal we are called to be people of love and peace and joy and in today's world to think about how we need to do that differently you have been healed from your hurt or you are healing you have the hope it doesn't mean you still don't feel pain It does mean what has happened to you does not keep you from love. What you have done does not keep you from hope. What you have seen does not keep you from peace. Because love, hope, peace comes from God. As we hear, there is nothing that will separate you from that. Amen.